0: Dear God, it's a new year and I'm ready for a new me. I've got a lot of things I really want to accomplish this upcoming year, with your help of course. What am I without you? Let's see, where do I start? Well, work for one. You know, I've been at this company for five years and I'm ready for this new promotion. Yeah, sure, it's a lot more responsibility and I'll be managing a lot more people, but I know I've got this. I mean, I can work longer hours and Well, not too long, because I've got other things I need to do. I mean, Monday Night Football is only on Monday night, right? But, man, to have this new title and that corner office, ah, that would be great. And also, God, while we're making plans together, I think 2018 is the year I really want to get fit. I mean, not that I need to. You know what they say, great are the works of the Lord. But you know summer's around the corner and it'll be here before you know it and i really want to spend some time at the beach Uh, but now that i think about it there really isn't a gym nearby and it's way too cold outside to go running these days anyway so maybe there's another way if there is then i promise i'll do it and i'll be committed to it i'll drink a smoothie every day if i have to or well maybe every other day. Smoothies take a lot of time to make in the morning. I don't have that much time. I mean, I need those five extra minutes of sleep. But I know we'll work something out. Oh, and one last thing. Above all, I really want to put you first, God. I want to strengthen my relationship with you. I want to grow with you. I want to... Uh, hmm. Yeah, right. So, oh man where was i uh uh, not sure where i was exactly god but you get the gist you know my heart amen
1: all right good morning everyone and welcome to the well here at stsa an ordinary place where we're talking about extraordinary stuff and we are in part two of a series called wander lost which is a series where all I'm doing, I'm not giving you any answers in this series, all I'm doing is asking questions. And that's why what I said last week, the most important part of this series will not be what we do here on Sundays, but what you do after you leave here on Sundays. And at the bottom of your handout or on the app, for those who are following along on the STSA app, each week I'm gonna put three to five questions on the handout that I'm challenging you to dig deeper into. And I'm challenging you to dig deeper first at a personal level to kind of wrestle with some questions because we're kind of talking about some big things here in life. We're talking about what do we want out of life? and Where do we want to go? Where do we see ourselves, you know, at the end of this year and five years, 10 years? And what is it that we really want out of life? So I can't really tell you those things. All I can do is ask you the questions and every time you give me an answer, I'm just going to ask you, are you sure? That's all I'm doing in this series. I'm asking you, what do you want? And you kind of give your answer because you kind of know what you want. And I just say, are you sure? So I'm asking you to wrestle with those things on your own. And then number two, if you really want to get something out of this, then you could do so in discussion. Okay, you can talk about this stuff at lunch after church on Sunday. You can talk about this when y'all get together on Wednesday night to do whatever it is that you do on Wednesday nights. Okay, that you can bring this stuff up because that's really how we are going to get somewhere further in this series. Because as I said a minute ago, our main question that I'm asking this series is a very simple one. And it's a question that you don't need to think about for more than two seconds. I say the question, boom, you got the list. You, I say the question, what is it that you want? What do you want? And no one struggles with that answer. No one struggles to say, you know, I, I pretty much got everything that I want in life. Everyone's got something that they want. If Santa Claus were right here, he'd be a busy man because we keep him busy 365 days a year if we could. Because everyone has something that they want. But like we talked about last week, this question which appears on the surface, pretty straightforward, isn't quite so straightforward. It's kind of a tricky question because on the surface, when I say what do you want, you think about stuff. I want this job. I want a house. I want you know a, a relationship this year. I want the government shutdown to last two weeks this time. Like whatever it is that you want. Okay, everyone wants something different, and it's not not easy or not hard for us to figure out on the surface what is it that you want. But what we talked about last week is underneath those, underneath those surface level wants are underlying other wants, deeper seated stuff. And this is what we talked about last week, stuff that you may not be aware of, but I guarantee you is true. This is stuff that you wouldn't say. This is just recap of last week. You would never say it this way, but the truth of the matter is, when I say, what do you want? You want your way. We all want our way. We want our desires, our plans. We want our way. what we talked about last week for those who weren't here is that if you always get your way you may get in the way of what god wants to do in your life and i gave you the example last week of my daughter who wanted to go on the banana boat but she didn't want to wear the life jacket and she wanted her way which was banana boat with no life jacket and in the end she refused life jacket and in the end she lost banana boat because if you always get your way you often get in the way of what god wants for you number two we want to do what we want to do. We want to do what we want to do. And last week I told you that's great. We all want to do what we want to do. But if you continue to do what you what you want to do, not what you're supposed to do, you may end up where you don't want to be. And I gave some great parenting advice for those who were here last week. I said, when your kid says, do I have to, do I have to, do I have to? You said, no. Nobody makes you have to do anything. You can do whatever you want, you can do it your way. But there's a solution that society has for people who always want to do what they want to do. It's called Okay, we put them, we can't stop them. Okay, we can't make them do what we want them to do, but we can stop them from doing other things that we don't want them to do. And God kind of has his own ways as well. Number three, we all want perpetual pleasure. We want to be happy from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to sleep. We seek to be as comfortable, as happy. Life as convenient, as easy as possible. We want perpetual pleasure. But the problem that we talked about last week is that all pleasure, even good pleasure, not just the sinful kind, any pleasure, eventually, eventually becomes addictive and becomes unpleasurable. And no matter what it may be, whatever pleasure it may be, if we continue to seek and continue to seek it, it eventually takes over us and it becomes unpleasurable. Last thing we talked about last week is I don't know what I want, but I know I want it now. What do you want? I don't know, but I want it now. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is. I want it by the end of today. And what we talked about last week is that while we may usually want things now, longer is better than now longer is better than now later is longer longer i'm sorry later is better than now because as our high school reunions teach us is that what we want in the moment may not be what we want 20 years down the road and any regret that you have in life began with i want this now and it ended with i really wish i could go back and unwant what i wanted at that moment in time so How are we gonna get past this? Today, we're gonna take a step forward and see how to start achieving and getting what it is that we want. We know we want our way, we wanna do what we wanna do, we want perpetual pleasure, we want it now, but we realize that that's not the proper way to approach it. So what is, how do we address this issue of want and get what we want? I'll say it this way. Here's our main point for today. We'll never get what we want till we discover what we value. We'll never get what we want, what we really want, until we discover what we value. And now we just introduced a new word into the mix. We have want and we have value. And the two are not the same. Value means something important. Value means something that 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, it gets better with time. Want is usually very short-sighted. And want means what I want right now. Value means what I want over the course of the long haul. The only way to get what you really want out of life is you have to first discover what it is that you value. And I'll say this. I think most people in this world today, and we are not exempt just because we're in the church, most people in this world today never take the time to sit down and articulate what it is they value. And instead, we are enamored with what's available. We fall for what's available, what's in front of us, and we never take the time to think, is this what we truly value, and is this getting me closer to where I really want to be in life? For example, I'm lonely, I need a date. I want a date, I need a date right now. I'm stressed, I need a break. Okay, I just need a a stress relief right now? I'm sad, I just need to pick me up. That's what I need right now. I need something to pick me up, no matter what it may be. I'm annoyed, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. I need my husband to yell at, okay? I just. I need a solution right now. I just need somebody in front of me, husband, that's why I married him, just to yell at him right now. The goal of this series is to get you to stop and ask, why is it that you want that? Are you sure that's what you really want? Are you sure that's what you value? Are you sure, as I said last week, that what you want isn't getting in the way of what you really want? And today I put a new word to that. Are you sure that what you want isn't getting in the way of what you value? I know you want a new house, but why? I know you want a new job, but why? I know you want that promotion. I know you wanna date with that guy. I know you wanna date with that girl, but why? I'm asking you why. What is it that you value? And I wanna dig a little bit deeper. Are you sure that what you want is getting you closer to what you value? I tell you for me personally, how I apply this for me personally what I want I'm a problem solver I like to fix problems you show me a problem that's broken and I love to fix it I always tell my wife that I have the spiritual gift of process improvement okay because there is nothing I, I, I honestly believe I can watch anybody do any task and tell them how to do it better she calls it criticism I call it process improvement you call it what you want okay I love to solve problems I love to see something in front of me that's broken And I want to fix it. So when I see something that's not right, I want to attack it. And I want to say, get this thing out of the way. I want to bulldoze my way to the solution because I want to get to what's right. And I want to get things fixed. But here's the thing. What is it that I value in life is not solving problems. What I value in life, and I'll throw a word out there that may resonate with you, I value my legacy. I value what I leave behind more than the solution to the problem. And when I say legacy, automatically you think of death. I don't think of it in terms of death. Obviously, when you die, you leave a legacy, but I mean it in a, in a much more here and now kind of a way. It means what will people say about you when you leave, when you walk away? So you're in a job right now. You're going to leave someday that job. What are people going to say about you when you leave that job? That's your legacy. Here we are as tenants in this place, George Mason University. What are people gonna say about us when we leave? I'm here a priest of this church. One day, I'm not gonna be the priest of this church. What are you gonna say about me? I discovered that people will either say good things about you, bad things about you, or no things about you, and you choose. And this isn't necessarily about what people say, by the way, because in the end, what I ultimately care about is what I say about myself. And more importantly, when I stand in front of God, what's he gonna say about me? That's my legacy. My children, parents, your children, they're gonna leave home one day. And for some of you, that's right around the corner. What are they gonna say about the home they grew up in? That's your legacy. That's what matters to me. And sometimes what matters to me, what value is the legacy is working directly opposite of solving the problem in the moment. So sometimes you have to embrace the problem to get the good legacy. I'll throw that back at you. You value a godly marriage. You value a godly marriage. That's what you value. But what you want is to have fun on Friday night. Any chance that that want is working against that value? Or let's say you are married. You want to be close and be connected and and, and, and be intimate and be, as the scripture says, naked and not ashamed with one another. But any chance that your temper and you just want to kind of get it out or you just want to sit there on the couch, any chance that is working against that, what you want versus what you value? What you want, what you say you want is you want a house, but I know what you value is not the house, you value a home. And sometimes the house works against the home. And anyone who's gone out there and spent all their money and all their life savings to buy a big house has realized that they may have lost their home in the process. What is it you value most? That's the starting point of this discussion. We'll never get what we want till we discover what we value. But this should be easy, right? Like we're all intelligent people. We know what we value. This should be simple. Like this should be like a 15 minute sermon right here. Like just discover what you value. You know what you value. Just ask yourself the question. Boom, and you got it. Should be simple, straightforward, right? Should be easy. Not so fast. Because while it is simple to say that you'll never get what you want to discover what you value, here's the thing about value. I believe that valuable is unnatural. And let me explain what I mean by that. That choosing what's valuable is against our nature. That's what I mean by unnatural. It is against our nature to choose valuable over want in the moment. Don't believe me? If I asked you here, how many people value health? Everyone will raise their hand. How many people value? No, I'm, I'm not saying that, actually, but I'm just saying, I know you all would raise your hand. If I said, how many people value proper diet, exercise, get enough rest, no stress? Like every one of us value that, Then every morning, The bathroom scale tells us that what we want is working against what we value. And that choosing value isn't easy because we know what we value, but we also know what we want. And our want, which is natural, works against our value. Our value is vegetables. Our want is ice cream for breakfast, donuts for dessert, bacon on everything in between. What we value is saving for our future. What we want is a $6 cup of coffee. And we have no problem spend that $6 every single morning. I don't even, maybe even more. $6 cheap, I don't know what that is. I don't buy, I don't, I don't drink coffee, so I don't know. But we don't have no problem. Spend $6, $7 on a cup of coffee, even though we value saving for our future. And we value putting that down payment on the house. And we value getting out of debt. We have no problem spending that money right there for a drink. I'm not a coffee drinker, so I'm going to go on a little bit of rent. For a drink that they give away for free at your work. A drink that they give away for free at your work. And I know it's not the same. People tell me it's not the same. I never had a cup of coffee in my life, but I just think that's just my little thing. Let's go to other topics. We value worshiping God. But what we want is another nine minutes of snooze on a Sunday morning. See how this works? Choosing valuable while easy here is not easy because it's against our nature. We usually say, so many times people come to me and say, I need to be more disciplined this year. I need more willpower. I just need to stop being lazy. And I personally, I think that solution, that answer is lazy. I think it's lazy for you to just simply say, I just need to be more disciplined. It's not a matter of discipline. It's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of try harder. What I wanna show you today is that choosing valuable takes more than just try harder. It is against our nature and we can't just solve it in in an easy way. The one who describes this conflict between valuable and want, okay, what we want and we value and how it's unnatural, is St. Paul. And we're going to see a passage from Romans chapter 7. And St. Paul, okay, if you kind of go like the Mount Rushmore of people in Christianity, okay, of course, Jesus, he's at the top, okay? But if you go non-Jesus people in Christianity, St. Paul's got to be in your top three or top four, okay? There's no way you can get around that. St. Paul was wrote half the New Testament, He had intimate experience with Christ, even though he never met him on this earth. He started all the churches, okay, that are all around the world today. Most of them, in one way or another, came from St. Paul or one of his disciples. St. Paul's at the top. But St. Paul's gonna tell us that even though he's the man, and he's the man of God, that he struggled with choosing valuable because it was against his nature, just like mine. We're gonna read a passage from Romans 7. And the first verse, okay, that I'm gonna show you is gonna be Romans chapter seven, verse 15. Before I show you the verse, if you're looking for a verse, you know, like some people have like a, like a, this is like my favorite verse. This is like my life verse. Okay, I don't know if you know this, this term life verse. This is like a Christian thing. Like you meet someone like, hi, how are you? What's your name? What's your life verse? Okay, it's like a, you know, on the Christian mingle, whatever it may be. Like it's what's your life verse? Everyone has to have a life verse. Well, if you don't have a life verse, let me recommend one that I know you're gonna love. i gonna put this verse up on the screen and automatically, as soon as I put it up, it's gonna resonate with every single person in this room. You ready? A golden verse. St. Paul says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. There's your life verse, ladies and gentlemen. Because everyone agrees with this verse. Because everyone right now, see, this isn't a verse that you see like, you don't see, you don't see this like at the wedding. Okay? We're here, we celebrate, and we, the scripture we read is, for what I am doing, I do not understand. Okay? Although it may be applicable in some situations. You don't see this in the foyer of the homes or in the lobby of the churches but this is the first that 100% of the people can, can relate to. Because every single one of us right now, I can pass a microphone around this room and say, tell me a story. And every one of you can tell me a story probably from the past 24 hours of a time where you did something and you have no idea why you did it. Where you stood in front of the mirror and you said, I'm not saying that you would say this to yourself, I would say this to myself, but you may say it to yourself, I'm not saying it to you. You stood in front of the mirror and you said, you idiot. Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? What are you thinking? Why, why? Why did you eat that? Why did you go there? Why did you call her? Why did you go on that on that date? Why did you go to that party? Why did you accept that? Why didn't you? Why did you say no to that? Like every one of us, and the answer is, I don't have any idea. Romans seven fifteen. For what I'm doing, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. He goes on, for what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. You wanna to say to yourself, St. Paul, okay? He's St. Paul. Okay, so I'm not saying this to him, but I'm saying this. If what you will to do is not what you're practicing, just do what you want to do. Like, it seems very simple. Like, it doesn't seem, compl- like, am I misreading it? What I want to do that I'm not doing, then do what you wanna do. Like, it's you doing it. Like, it's not me doing it to you. He's not saying what, what I want, you won't let me do What he's saying is what I want, I won't let me do. Well, then just do it. Every one of us has a story that we could tell how we can relate to this. How it's more than just, just stop it. Just don't eat it. Just don't call him back. Just walk away. Like every one of us has it. But you and I know that this is much deeper than that. This isn't just a, uh, just swallow your pride, don't get angry. Just don't get angry. I I don't want to get angry. But what I will to do, that I do not practice. And St. Paul is very honest right here when he says this. And he says something here that I want to take a pause for a second here and point this out to some of you may need to hear this today. He says, when you're in this condition too long, of what I will to do, I do not practice. You may end up hating what you do. And when he says this word, hey, this is a strong word, and I want to pause right here because I think there's some people in this room today that are on the verge not just of hating what, if you hate what you do long enough, it's just a matter of time before you hate the person who's doing it. And there's a lot of people, if they're honest, look in the mirror and say, I hate the person who I'm staring at. I hate the person in front of me. I hate who I've become. What I want to say to you, if that's you, we've all been there. And before you go writing yourself off as the worst person in the world, let me tell you that I can relate. I know what it's like to do what I don't want to do. And not just me, the person who's sitting next to you on your left and right knows exactly. And not just them, but St. Paul the Great, the the apostle and the missionary and the writer of half of the New Testament says, I got you too. So don't necessarily hate the person that you see in the mirror. Let's try to understand that there may be something deeper going on right here and St. Paul is going to continue to talk about it. Verse 16. If then, you got to follow closely on this one because you can get lost. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He said, it is no longer I who do it, but he's introducing another element here, which we'll circle back to, okay? But he's saying there may be more in the water than meets the eye. It may not just be on the surface level, like just stop it, just just don't do it. Just, There, there may be more to the story here. And he's saying, if you're in the situation like I am, where you don't do what you want to do, where it seems like you have a plan and you are sabotaging that plan. Like not I'm sabotaging your plan, Not your boss, like we blame our boss, we blame our wife, we blame our kids, we blame our parents, we blame society, we blame the president, we blame Congress, we blame everybody in the whole wide world. But in the end, it's me. It's I have what I want and I am the one who's shooting it down the plan. I am undermining my very self. If that's you, there may be something else in the mix right here. And St. Paul says, it is not you but sin that dwells in you. Hold that thought. He's going to come back to it. But let's go, keep going. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. That's kind of a tongue twister. For the good, I wonder how many times it took him to write this down. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. So I came up with a plan and said, I'm gonna do this. That's the last thing that's gonna happen. But the evil that I will not to do, I'm never gonna do this. That's where I'm making my my, my living. By not doing what I don't wanna do, no, by not doing what I do wanna do, y'all get the picture. And then he concludes with this. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Second time, he said the same thing. Summary. There's more to the story. It's not as simple as just do it. Just stop it. There's more inside this than meets the eye. And I want to say it this way. Our lesson for today is what we naturally want. What we naturally want. Often, almost always, is in conflict with what we ultimately want. Through no choosing of our own, that what we naturally want, that what we, on a day-to-day basis, the thing in front of us that we desire, is often in direct conflict with the thing that we say we want for the rest of our life. And before you think that this is just a me and you problem, I use the word naturally on purpose because I don't think this is a human nature problem. I think this is a nature problem. I love nature just as much as anybody. And we love to look at nature, and nature's beautiful, and we put it on postcards and sightseeing and all that kind of stuff. Nature's the best. But realize this that nature is only beautiful kind of from a distance. Because when you get too close to nature, nature's very dangerous. And there are things in nature which, for example, nature has no mercy. There's no forgiveness in nature. There's no kindness in nature. There's no grace in nature. There are no second chances in nature. You know what nature is? Nature is survival of the fittest. Nature is you look out for your own. Nature is me first, you second. Nature is The strong survive, the weak die. That's nature. That's why sometimes people want to argue against the existence of God. And I'll tell you one thing, that you cannot see good in this world and argue against the existence of God because nature is not good by itself. Like our nature and nature in general is not good. It's harmful, it's dangerous, it's destructive. You want to know what nature is? You wanna know what nature is? I I put a list of things down of what is out there in society. I'll show you what nature is. Nature is me first, everyone else second. Nature is cheating and lying to get ahead. Nature is lust, use other people for yourselves. Nature is racism. I take care of myself and people like myself, but I don't like people other than people like me. Nature is revenge. Nature is murder innocent people who can't defend themselves. That's nature. And that, from the beginning of civilization, the end of time, will always be nature unless there's an element of God inserted in. If there's no God, that's what you get. St. Paul says it a little bit more eloquently than I did. He gives a list in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21 about what is nature. And he starts it off by saying, now the works of the flesh are evident. And you know why he says evident? Because I'm gonna go through this list right now. I'm gonna go through quickly. And as I go through this list, you're not gonna have to think very hard to be able to go through one by one and say, yep, True. Yep, that's in me, or that's in somebody that I know. Like every single one of these, you see this in the world today. And I'm, I'm sad to say, oftentimes you see this in the mirror today. Every single one of these is evident this is the work of nature. Now the works of the flesh, flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication. Anyone argue that this is not in, in nature today? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, Idolatry, you say, well, that's not in the world. We don't worship idols anymore. Idolatry doesn't mean necessarily do the incense to the statue. Idolatry means anything that goes in front of God, anything that you put in front of God or others, anything you put in front of love. God said, love, love God, love one another. Anything in front of love is idolatry. Sorcery, ha, there's no sorcery today. You know what sorcery is? What is sorcery back in the first century? Sorcery in the first century was a way to manipulate and control others against their will. Sorcery was a way to get other people to do what you wanted them to do. Does that happen today? Absolutely, it happens today. And every single person out there in a position of authority is trying to get people, to manipulate people to get people to do what they want to do. I shouldn't say everyone. I didn't mean to say everyone, but a lot. Uh, sorcery. Uh, hatred, easy. Contention, easy. Jealousies, jealousies. Let's pause here at jealousies. You want to know what may be the ugliest thing on this list? Maybe jealousy. What's jealousy? Jealousy is you hear news about somebody. Somebody even that you like. You hear news about somebody that you like. And it's not the most fortunate news. It's, you know, their kid didn't get into that school. Or they're struggling at work. Or their marriage isn't going so well. And without even thinking, you never admit it, without even thinking, A little piece of you goes, yes. What is that? That's nature. I'll give you another one. You see that what's-her-name, or what's-his-face, put on a few extra pounds. And in no way does that make your life any better. But a little piece of you is like, "Mm -hmm." what is that? Like, is that not the ugliest thing that's in us? Like, we cheer at other people's misfortune, not even that it benefits us in any way? That's nature. That's nature. You didn't think about it, but nature is working against what we ultimately want. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. You know what end the like means? It means dot, 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 etc. He wraps it up. Oh, sorry. That's it, yeah, end the like. This list is a horrible list. And it's easy to say, you know what? It's unfortunate. Thank God I'm not like this. What I want to say is you may not be like all of this. And thank God for that. But you would be like this if there was no God in your life. Because this is nature. And nature, if all we were, if all we were was just nature, was just biology, was just cells, was just molecules, if that's all we were, that's who we'd be. But you say, we don't see this stuff necessarily all the time. And I say, that's what proves the existence of God. Because thanks be to God, me and you are not just biology. Like if I just looked at this list, this would make me miserable. But I know that me and you were made in the image of God. And what that means is there's a little piece inside me that biology cannot explain. That, 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 that a little piece inside me that is made right there, that God fits right in there. I was made in the image of God and because God is good, I have the potential for good inside me. Couple of verses right here. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. We're just gonna go through these quickly. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. We're not just biology, we're not just animals, we're not just nature. We have the right to become children of God. We can go above nature to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Did you know that? That yes, you were born of, of blood. You were born of flesh. You were born of the will of man, but you also are born of God. Born of God means something biology cannot explain. Next verse, Romans chapter eight, verse 14. What does it mean to be born of God? For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, through the incarnation of Christ, we talked about this a little bit last week, a little bit more today. Through the incarnation of Christ, God became man and he opened a door for us to not live just nature. He opened a door for us to live above nature. Actually, with a new nature, a new natural. And the new natural is tied not with our human nature and human spirit, but with God's nature and God's spirit himself. That you and I have become, through the incarnation of Christ, houses, temples of the living God and the Holy Spirit, whom in all the Godhead dwells in now can dwell inside of us. And me and you are not limited to human nature, but we can supersede that and we can go above. Now I'm gonna go back to that Galatians passage where St. Paul said the drunkenness and the revelries and the jealousies and the hatred and the murder and all that stuff. And he continues and he says this in direct contrast. That was verse 21. This is verse 22. In direct contrast, he shows there's a new nature, and a new natural that you can participate in. He says it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. What he's saying right here is, is you don't have to be jealousy. You don't have to be dissension. You don't have to be that list. That by the incarnation, by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we can have love. What's love? Love is where you can do something kind, you can help, you can see brother helping brother without asking anything in return. We can have joy, the kind of joy that everything is going around us bad, that we can smile and we can say thank you God because we have peace in the middle of this storm. We can have long suffering, I'm sorry, peace, the kind of peace that like I said, is rain and it's storm and everything's falling apart, but we can have confidence on the inside. We can have long suffering, the kind that trusts in God even when we no answer. We can have kindness, the kind that gives up a seat to a stranger. That's not nature. Nature is not to give a seat to a stranger. Nature is to take a seat from a stranger. But kindness says we can give one up. Goodness, we can show up at 7 a.m. to set up the church. Faithfulness, we can keep our promises we don't want to. Self-control, maybe we can have some vegetables for lunch today, even though we want more meat. Point of this is, yes, we are broken. Yes, there's something broken inside of us, but we are not doomed. Yes, we are broken. No, we are not doomed. Yes, we are sick. But no, we are not banished to sickness forever. Because there is a healer. There is a medicine that has come into this world. God sent his son into this world. And then sent his spirit inside of us. God sent his son to the world. God sent his spirit inside of us. You know why? To fix us. I always say the word to save us. Get rid of the word save. Anytime you say the word salvation, anytime you hear a word so much, it means something to different people, get rid of that word and give me a better definition for saving. I'll give you a better definition for salvation and saving. It's healing. God didn't come to save us. God came to heal us, to fix what was broken. Think of it this way. You buy a house and you put all your money into that house and you build up that house and that's the nicest house in the whole wide world. Then you go away on vacation and you come back and someone robbed your house and they broke the windows, and they kicked in the door. What are you going to do to the house? You're going to throw it away? You spent $2 million in this house, and all of a sudden someone broke some stuff inside. You're just going to say, you know what? Light it on fire and start from scratch? No. You're going to roll up your sleeves. You're going to fix that house, and you're going to get people to help you fix the house. You know who the house is? The house is me and you. The house is humanity. We broke it. We broke it. Let's be honest. We broke it. That's why we do stuff that we don't want to do. It's broken. But God said, I love my house. I gave everything for my house. I'm gonna fix my house. And the way he fixed his house, he sent his son to come and live in the house and fix it up. But then he knew that as soon as the sun turned around, that me and you, we come in there, we start doing stuff. Say, so, okay, you know what? Can't leave these guys for a minute. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit. And he's not gonna leave you for a second. He's gonna stay in that house. So even when you break something, he can fix it. Even when you mess something up, he can fix it. Because he came as a healer, not as anything else. Galatians 5:24. Saint Paul says, "Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." What he is saying is, is those who are Christ are given a chance to live above nature, to live with a new nature, not automatic. Okay. I liken it to muscles. Okay. When you are born, you have muscles in your body. Okay. And the fact that you have muscles, you have the potential to look like me one day. Okay. The potential but the actualization, the realization of it requires you to put in some effort. So just because one has the potential to live above nature doesn't mean one is living above nature. One has to choose to cooperate with the work of God. Different topic for a different time. But my point is to say, you have the power, you have the potential, It's not automatic, but it is possible for me and for you. So Let's recap where we started today and where we're wrapping things up. First thing I said, which you all agreed with, you agreed, we will never get what we want until we discover what we value. We have to not think in terms of want today. We want to think in terms of value life. But then the problem is, is choosing valuable is unnatural. It's against my nature. Everyone has the story of where they chose something. They, they, they intentionally undermined their own values. You intentionally undermined what you said is most important to you. And that's because, as we just saw, there's more to the story. Is that what we naturally want is in conflict with what we ultimately want because there's this thing inside me called sin. Sin dwells in me and that conflict then exists. But here's the good news. Here's the great news. Here's the best news ever. Is that God himself entered into the world to save the world, not from the bad guys, we always think to save us from the devil. No. Save us from ourselves. God entered into the world to save the world from destroying itself. And I want to change this. Okay, if you're taking notes, I want you to change this in your handout or on your app. I want you to say, God entered into, the, into me to save me from myself. God entered into me and God continues to enter into me through the sacrament of the Eucharist. God enters into me through his Holy Spirit. God enters into, not the world, but me. To save me from me. Because whether you admit it or don't admit it. Whether it's politically correct to say or polite to say or not, I have the faintest idea. We don't want to say it, but the truth is you and I are broken. We're broken. Paul is broken. Me is broken. You're broken. And if you don't want to accept that, then just answer me this question. Have you ever done something that you didn't know why you did it? And if the answer is yes, then you too are broken. But the good news is there's there's a solution. What we have in Christianity, we have in the body of Christ. Some people think that Christianity is all about buzzkill. Christianity is all about the fun police. No, no, I don't want to go to church because I want to have fun. No, no, I'm not ready for God yet until I settle down. As if Christianity is here just to say, don't do that. Shall not touch that. Definitely don't do that. Like, as if that's what Christianity is. Christianity is not the fun police. Christianity is the story of God seeing brokenness and stepping into the brokenness with both feet and saying, I'm here to fix it. I'm here to solve it. I'm here to grab your hand and say, you jumped into a river and that river is heading to a bad place. And you got all kinds of broken stuff that you can't fix. I am coming into your world, your home, your mind, you. I'm coming into you and I'm coming to give you a helping hand to fix you, to heal you, not to judge you. We think of Christianity as being called into the principal's office. Jesus said it this way. John chapter 3 verse 16 is the most famous verse in Christianity. I want to show you chapter 3 verse 16. Then I am going to show you 3.17 because I think you need both. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse we all know it's at every football game you see it all the time. John 3.16, John 3.16. Y'all know what John 3.17 says? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but though the world through him might be healed. So you saved means healed, healed. God, let's personalize this. God sent his son into your life. Not to get you in trouble. Not to say, stop it. Don't touch that. Don't look at that. Don't you dare think that. He sent his son into your life, into you, to heal you. But you never again have to say, why did I do that? That you don't have to live your whole life of getting to the end and be like, why did I do that? And the only explanation is, I don't understand what I'm doing. He gave us a better way to live. So what is it that you're looking for in life? What is it that you lack? You lack purpose, you lack meaning, you lack joy, you lack love. What is it that you lack that you are undermining on a daily basis? Where is it that you are wandering lost as the title is? Good news, the answer is not in willpower or discipline, which you have all tried and failed. The answer is in the healer. I'll draw you one last picture and then we'll wrap up. So often, this picture, I don't know who taught this at the beginning. We we, we we heard this idea that sin is a wall between us and God. Sin is a wall between, we all heard that in Sunday school, right? Sin, every sin becomes a wall between us and God. And it makes sense, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'll tell you where it becomes dangerous. Imagine, imagine there's a wall right here, okay? Actually, let's do it this. Way. Here's a wall. Here's a wall between me and God. God is on the other side of this wall, according to the analogy. The sin is a wall between me and God. So what do I think to myself? I want to get to God, so what do I do? I got to push down the wall. So I start to push. What happens when I push? Nothing. So what do I do? Push harder. And I push harder, and what happens? The more harder I push, the more nothing happens. No, actually, something is happening. The harder I push, something is happening. What's happening? I'm getting tired. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting annoyed. And I'm getting hopeless to the point to say, This doesn't work. Like, I'm coming here at some point, I'm gonna say, give up. Like, let's just enjoy life on this side of the wall because that wall ain't going down. You know what I think? I think the answer is this. So often we spend our whole life trying to get to God by pushing down a wall of sin. You know where I think God is? I think he's right here. And I don't think the solution is to knock down the wall. I think the solution is to turn around and not focus on the wall. And not see the wall of sin as the separation between me and God. To see that he has come. He's broken the wall. He's entered into the world. He's entered into my life. And instead of spending my, oh my, get a stupid wall. I'm gonna turn around. And I'm gonna say, God, heal me. If I can't do it on my own. Three questions for this week. They're on your handout, but just quickly. Three questions you're supposed to answer this week. Number one, I want you to answer, what do I want? You could have guessed I was gonna ask you that. What do I want? I want, you to, I want you to think about it. Not what's available. What do I really, really, really want? What do I value? Where do I wanna end this race? Number two, what natural want keeps getting in the way of an ultimate want? What temporary desire? is getting in the way of a long-term value what keeps dragging you back and number three how long will I decide to turn around and I and I'm actually very serious with this question I want you to I want you to write down the answer I want you to say you know what um, um, um what keeps dragging me back is this relationship and my plan is to kind of continue for the rest of 2018 maybe 2019. like answer the question how long do you plan to live this way? This group of friends always drags me down. This bad habit, this is what's dragging me down. This temporary want, this desire for this is keeping me from my ultimately want. And I plan to stick with it through the end of the decade. But in 2020, that's what I, like, be honest. You can do it till you get married, till you have kids. Like how long? Like you answer me. Till so you're on your deathbed. I know people have said that. So you're gonna wait till I'm just like sick and I'm about to, okay, be honest. But don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself and kid yourself. How long do you plan to wait until you turn to the doctor and say, doctor, heal me? I know answering these questions is not easy. I know it's kind of uncomfortable. But I also know this. Listen carefully, then I promise I'm done. You only got one shot to get this thing right. You only got one shot. You only got one shot Get this thing called life right. But even on a more smaller scale, your parents and you have toddlers, you only got one shot at their toddlerness. Your parents, you got high school kids, you only got one shot at the teen years before they leave house. You're single, you only got one shot to do this single thing right, hopefully. You only got one shot to do this next stage of life. To me, I don't want to just get there haphazardly and get to the end and say, man, if I had known then, if I had known that, I want to be proactive. I want to look at this thing. and I want to not waste. And I want to say, here I am in this stage of my life. Here's the season that I'm in. And I only got one shot at this season. I only got one shot at newly married. I only got one shot at engaged. I only got one shot at new career. I only got one shot at this thing. And I don't want to mess it up. What is it that I want? what's keeping me away, how long will I turn around? Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for that you sent your only begotten Son into this world. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank you that you have not left us abandoned home You've sent your Son into this world to save us. And you've sent us of your very Spirit to dwell in us and to make us your eternal temples. We pray, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live an unnatural life, a a, a life that is above this current human nature, and one that is in like accordance with your divine Spirit. I pray that you would help us to find clarity on what it is that we really want and value in this world, not let us to waste our life chasing after wants, and missing out on what we really want. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, with the prayers of all of your saints. Here it says we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.